When it comes to air quality, the bad news is that wildfires and air pollution have really degraded the quality of our air. But the good news is that we're all realizing that the quality of our air, and particularly the quality of our indoor air, is really darn important. I'm so excited to tell you about Puro Air because in 30 minutes, this device will remove allergens, dust, smoke, and gases from your room. It uses a stronger type of filter called a HEPA-14, and it filters pollutants at a microscopic level. I keep my Puro Air running upstairs where the bedrooms are all night. I love that it's quiet. Cleaner air just hits different, doesn't it? Check out everything Puro Air has to offer at getpuroair.com. That's G-E-T-P-U-R-O-A-I-R.com. One more time for the people in the back, getpuroair.com. Well, hello and welcome back. My name is Stephanie Safarian and you're listening to episode 392 of Sustainable Minimalists, a show about intentional and eco-friendly minimalist living. On today's show, we are revisiting microplastics, and we are revisiting this topic because new research is coming out in real time about the effects of microplastics on human health. Now, we just finished plastic-free July, but at the same time, more plastic waste is being produced in 2023 at this moment in time than ever before. Here today to help explain exactly what research is finding about the effects of microplastics on human health and exactly what you and me can be doing to combat the plastic pollution crisis is science journalist Matt Simon. He writes over at Wired.com. He has also written a new book all on microplastics titled A Poison Like No Other. Oh my goodness, Matt, I need to buckle up for today's conversation. How are you? I'm okay. I wish we could be meeting on better terms than talking about microplastics, but uh, regardless, it's, it's great to be here. I wish we were talking about something a little lighter, a little bit more fun as well, but you are the author of a new book all into microplastics. Tell us who you are and how you found yourself writing a book about microplastics. Uh, I'm not particularly bright. Um, it, it was during the pandemic and I was sitting around with a, a good amount of free time. I had been um, reporting on, on microplastics for Wired for a number of years. So looking at studies into uh, where microplastics are in the environment, mostly as they have been trickling out really over the past 10, 15 years that the research has really started to get going. So during the pandemic, I thought, you know what? Nobody has written a book-length treatment of the state of the science uh, for a popular audience. So I thought, what a genius plan for me to uh, feel even worse about the state of the world and dive headlong into microplastics. Well, you said you learned a lot. Let's just ask the biggest and most pressing question of the day. What was the biggest, most shocking thing that you learned when you were researching and writing this book? You know, microplastics research really began in the oceans. Uh, oceanographers were finding little bits of plastic, obviously got very concerned. And in recent years, that has shifted more and more to the atmospheric stuff. So what is actually being lofted into the sky? And it turns out there's a, a just an astonishing amount of these little tiny plastic particles 
in the atmosphere. But what really surprised me the most was that there are a number of studies about indoor air. So uh, the air that we are breathing, we spend something like 90% of our time indoors as modern humans. They are finding in these studies quite consistently that indoor air is something like six times more contaminated than outdoor air. And that's just because we are surrounded by plastic in these obvious ways. So bottles and bags, that's clear enough, but in these sneakier ways, um, right? So there's carpet that's made out of plastic. Hardwood floors are made out of plastic. Basically everything around us, including our our clothing, uh, now two thirds of clothing is made out of plastic. Uh, It has been these sneaky ways that plastic has gotten into our, our daily lives and has thoroughly contaminated the indoor environment with plastic. Well, why is that concerning? I mean, we live in a plastic world. The Barbie movie is, you know, number one. Plastic everything. But why is the fact that microplastic is in our air, our water, our food, on top of Mount Everest, in the oysters that we eat during the summer, why is that concerning in the lens as we talk about human health? So this is, this is on two levels, one of which is that no particulate matter is good to have in our lungs. So that's dust, a, a natural source of particulate matter, uh, wildfire smoke, that sort of thing. So we know for certain that it is not good to have little tiny pieces of plastic in our lungs. It is especially not good when we're looking at the other half of this, which is we know for a fact Scientists have now reverse engineered. There have been something like 13,500 different chemicals used to make plastic. A quarter of those scientists consider to be of concern, meaning they're known toxins, or they are toxic in other ways, like they bioaccumulate in organisms, or they persist in the environment. You might have heard of PFASs are in in the headlines these days. This is a, a very common group of chemicals in plastics. We know for certain that there are certain chemicals in plastics that are terrible for human health. The frontier now is figuring out if microplastics in the amounts that we have been inhaling them in indoor air, which is a lot, is that amount enough to cause human health problems? We will see those, I think, pretty definitive studies coming out in the next five years or so. But this research is just getting started because scientists are just now moving from, okay, where is microplastic in the environment and in the home to what are the consequences? We know the consequences are not good. It's just a matter of how bad they're going to be. As you're talking there and you're saying, you know, the research will be likely forthcoming, I'm thinking about how our dependence, our reliance on plastic really started to pick up in the 70s. So the research isn't out yet because for the past however many decades, we've been emitting mass amounts of plastic into our environment and ecosystem that then had to have time to break down to create microplastics. Would it be hyperbole to say that we are poisoning ourselves? Not at all. No, that's that's nowhere near hyperbole. The the early studies are looking at um, individual groups of chemicals in plastics that are exclusive to plastics. So things like plasticizers, Plastic at its core is long chains of carbon, and that gives it the strength that makes plastic so famous. But 
manufacturers have to add a bunch of different chemicals to make plastic a plastic. So to make it bendy or waterproof, these are the additional chemicals that we really need to worry about. There has been a, a couple of studies and one standout one that looked at a particular group of plasticizer chemicals used in plastics and went back through people's blood samples and compared the amounts of these plasticizers, they're called phthalates, um, the amount of that in the blood to the human health problems that you were finding in these patients. They looked at a very big population and at a conservative estimate considered that there might be something like 100,000 premature deaths in the United States each year just from this one group of chemicals in plastics. Where we are now is teasing apart the contribution of plastics that we are maybe wrapping our food in. So that, that's the macroplastic, the, the bottles and the bags. But how much of a contribution is the microplastic? So these bottles and bags breaking into smaller pieces, us inhaling it, getting into the bloodstream that way. We know for a very definitive fact that plastics are, are poisonous just in general to all life forms. We have been bamboozled by the plastics industry into thinking that this is a benign material, right? It's okay to wrap all our, our food in it. Uh, not only is it benign, but it actually improves human health, right? It, it keeps food from gathering pathogens, that sort of thing. All along, these things have been poisoning us. And again, in the next five years, I think we're going to have much more definitive studies about just how bad this is at this point. Hmm. Plastics are marketed to us as helpful, right? Our workout gear is anti-wicking. Our raincoat is waterproof. Our potato chip bag keeps our hands from getting greasy. Like we could go on and on with the short-term benefits associated with plastics and the chemicals that coat the plastic. But I just want to make sure I'm understanding you correctly. There's the plastic, which is made from fossil fuels. And then there's the made in a lab chemicals that are put on the plastics to make the plastic do whatever it wants. Is it the fossil fuels-based plastic that's harming human health? Is it the chemicals are on top or is it both? It's both. So it's important to keep in mind that any uh, of these chemicals that are added to plastic, in addition to the long chains of carbon, which um, are extracted from fossil fuels, something like 99% of plastics are today still made out of fossil fuels, the, those long chains of carbon. But even if you switch to a bio-based plastic, so that's a plastic made from corn or, uh, or the sugar plant, um, that is just replacing the carbon with a, an organic source of carbon. All these other chemicals that I'm talking about these plasticizers, phthalates, um, PFASs, all just this whole slew of chemicals. These are also derived from fossil, the petrochemicals. And it is the same companies that the petrochemical companies that provide us with fuels that run our civilization, gasoline and, and coal and whatnot. Uh, same companies producing plastics. They have wings of their companies that are, are dedicated to plastics. They have made no secret that they're idea going forward for enriching their shareholders is to, uh, as we, we decarbonize our society, we burn fewer fossil fuels. They want us to use more fossil fuels as plastics. They have made no secret about that. That is why they are massively ramping up production of plastic. It has been continuing exponentially over the past decades. It is at a trillion pounds a year that we're producing, which is uh, an astonishing figure given 
uh, one of plastic's charms is that it's super light, right? Like how much plastic do you need to, to make a trillion pounds? It's, it's a lot. That is projected a triple by 2060. And we have very good evidence showing that as production increases exponentially, so too does the microplastic contamination of the environment. So I'm going to restate what I think you just said, and please correct me if I'm wrong. You're saying that these fossil fuels mega corporations, they have different ways to make money, one being through heating and cooling homes, buildings, etc. We already know there's extensive legislation here in America and across the world to reduce fossil fuels in terms of heating, cooling, running our cars, etc. And so the fossil fuels industry is then putting more eggs in the plastic creation basket, so to speak, to stay relevant and to continue padding their shareholders' pockets. Is that what you're saying? That's absolutely correct. And that's the astonishing injustice of all this is that these are the companies that have destroyed the planet with climate change, uh, not content to stop with that. They are switching to destroying the planet with plastics. These are the, the very same companies. And we cannot let that happen, which is why it's very important that the UN Plastics Treaty that's under negotiation right now comes up with some sort of cap on the production of plastic globally. Scientists and anti-plastic pollution groups are in round agreement that the only way to stop this crisis isn't with bio-based plastics or with more recycling, but with just massively reducing the production of plastic in the first place. It's it's insane to me that these these companies, these petrochemical companies, they have a, a obligation to their shareholders to destroy the planet. Um, it's just a perverse system that we find ourselves in. All right, Matt, I'm getting fired up. <laughs> and um, that's never good for anybody when Stephanie gets fired up. But let's talk about regulation for a minute, because the news cycle is all on the PFAS bandwagon. Like, we need to regulate PFAS, we need to ban it, et cetera, et cetera. It's in our drinking water. But PFAS, if I'm hearing you correctly, is just one of dozens, hundreds of, I'm going to say, chemicals on top of plastics that we should be concerned about. I know that's not very scientific and you're a science reporter, but I hope you understand what I'm saying. So if we're only worrying, if we're zeroing in on PFAS and ignoring all the other hazardous poisons, are we really missing the point? Yeah, I mean, I'm of two minds of this. So the, the big famous one was BPA, right? So scientists determine BPA turns out to be extraordinarily bad for, for human health. Ban that. Great. So now you see a lot of things that are BPA-free. Scientists have this notion called regrettable substitution, which is that these plastic companies see that BPA gets banned. Oh, oh well. They go find a chemical that is very similar in structure and is maybe as poisonous, if not more poisonous. And they just substitute that in. There has been no testing of, of like, there no plastics companies, when plastic production began taking off in the 1940s, were thinking about the way that these chemicals are going to affect human health. I don't think that they were assuming that we would be inhaling a little bits of plastic in the coming decades. So Yes, I think it's, it's very important that we point out these individual chemicals and we ban them. PFAS is among them. But we need to also come around to this idea that plastics in general are just extraordinarily toxic. And we need a paradigm shift in the thinking around it from this apparently very 
useful, benign material uh, and change our way of thinking into it as something that is actually extraordinarily bad, both for human health and planetary health. If you ban certain chemicals, you also need to ban these these petrochemical companies from just substituting in similar chemicals. Well, that BPA example that you just gave really hits home because around the start of this podcast, BPA was the PFAS, right? Everybody was talking about BPA. And yeah, now BPA is widely regarded as bad for human health on a consumer level. So we know to look for BPA cams, let's say, when we're buying our crushed tomatoes. But that BPA-free can of crushed tomatoes now just has BPS or BPF, which is slightly different than BPA. And so I totally hear that point. We're going to take a break, Matt, but when we come back, I want to talk about regulation, federal regulation, why there isn't any. And then I want to talk about what can those of us who are fired up, like I am right now, what can we do? This just seems like, it just seems impossible. So we're going to get there after a quick sponsor break. So many of us have chaotic closets that are crammed full of clothing items, and yet somehow we still have nothing to wear. Well, upgrading to high quality and affordable pieces from Quince when you need them is a game changer. They offer organic cotton sweaters and washable silk tops. My 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters are my go-to. Not only are they affordable, but the quality is top-notch They wear better than the cashmere sweaters that are double their price. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash sustainable podcast for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sustainable podcast to get free shipping and 365 day returns. One more time, quince.com slash sustainable podcast. Hello, Sustainable Minimalist listeners. Are you committed to living a greener and simpler life? Well, meet Home Threads, your ally in more sustainable and minimalist home decor. As the total destination for decor and furniture, Home Threads helps you define your minimalist lifestyle while respecting the planet. Discover their exclusive Haven collection. They use many sustainable materials without compromising on style. And here's the best part. Home Threads always has the best value. It was time. After nine years of living in our home, it was time to replace our outdoor furniture. And my husband and I, we went to Home Threads. We have a Home Threads patio umbrella and a new bench. And oh my goodness, we are so in love. Create a home that reflects your commitment to the environment. Visit homethreads.com slash sustainable and get a code for 15% off your first order. Homethreads.com slash sustainable. Love where you live. And we're back. Today we're speaking with Matt Simon. He is a science journalist and he is the author of the new book called A Poison Like No Other. And yes, that poison like no other is indeed microplastics. Matt, I want to continue the conversation we were having before the break. And I want to talk about federal and state regulation. Why is there none when it comes to plastics? We don't do that too good in the United States, do we? (laughs) Regulating things beforehand, it's always um, 
whoops, we screwed up. Uh, I guess we should ban that now. Europe is actually very far ahead on this. Their regulations are much stricter around these classes of chemicals and plastics. Why don't we have that in America? It's because we have just like this willy-nilly capitalism, right? So again, in the 1940s, production of plastic was increasing exponentially. Nobody was thinking, is that a good idea? Like, should we should we do that? This was always profit driven. Plastic is one of, again one of its charms is it's very lightweight. It is uh, much easier to ship things in plastic than it is in in glass or metal. Uh, it's much easier and cheaper. Um, so we we just let these companies run this grand experiment on us as a as a population. And and I think to their credit, maybe they didn't understand, like scientists really didn't understand until recent decades, that this plastic breaks down into these tiny pieces and we are readily inhaling this stuff. Where I am actually quite hopeful around plastics is that as we get more of these human health studies, again, probably in the next five years, we'll, we'll see more of those, uh, we will see a tide turning in the public. I think that's already happening, uh, turning against plastic. Like it's a truly ridiculous situation that we find ourselves in like cucumbers like single-use wrapped plastic cucumbers in the supermarket cucumbers i'm not sure if most people wear have their own skins they don't need a plastic skin on top of that it's just it's insane how we got here but i think the tide is turning the public is realizing that we cannot continue on this trajectory it's very interesting to me that you brought up the cucumber in the plastic because I have brought that up before on the show. Like, why are cucumbers wrapped in plastic? It just seems like we're making up uses for plastics. And I have had listeners write to me and say that's a bad example because the cucumber, when not wrapped in plastic, will go bad on the truck from wherever the cucumber was grown before it gets to the supermarket and food waste is way worse than the plastic. What would you say to listeners who would argue that? What you have to consider here is not only the full life cycle of the cucumber, but the full life cycle of the plastic. So in an ideal world, yes, we would have much more food produced more locally where you don't need to be shipping it across continents, across oceans oftentimes. And in this, when I try to talk about solutions in the book, I try to talk about things that have multiple benefits. So growing crops in urban environments, right? You green up the landscape, it reduces urban temperatures, you produce food more locally. We're not all lucky enough to have farmers markets uh, each Sunday in our neighborhood. So uh, it's about fundamentally renegotiating our relationship with food. It's like we have a tremendous food waste problem with everything wrapped in plastic, right? Like, so like, what is it? What is it fixing? But you also have to consider what scientists call externalities around plastic. So in the United States, we are recycling something like 5% of our plastic waste now, which is really embarrassing. And what we have been secretly doing for the past many decades is that we have been shipping our plastic to other countries to recycle. So uh, largely to Southeast Asia, China was a big importer of our plastic until a couple of years ago where they they stopped doing that. So this is going to island nations where they don't have the room for this plastic. It is piling up. So here's the life cycle of the plastic. They pull fossil fuels out of the ground, uh, use energy to turn into plastic, ship it to food producers who wrap the, the produce in plastic, send it to consumers. Uh, we throw that plastic in the recycling bin and it gets shipped across whole oceans to another country like how 
in what ways is this an efficient system? There are ways to create a food system that does not use this much plastic. And it is, again, coming back to more local food production, which solves all sorts of other problems like urban heat. Um, so let's, let's not worry about getting rid of plastic on cucumbers. Let's worry about uh, renegotiating our relationship with both food and plastics at the same time. Well, Matt, I want to talk to you really quickly about infant formula, because that seems to, first of all, a lot of my listeners are mothers. And research is coming out with regard to the microplastics issue and infant formula, which I think you covered quite well. Can you just talk to me, but also the new mothers listening about what they should be considering when they're feeding their babies formula as it relates to microplastics? Yeah, I mean, yet another extraordinary injustice that we journalists have to explain this to people. Um, why isn't the government and why, why aren't these companies explaining this to people that when you produce food in plastic, it breaks off a lot of microplastic and into things like infant formula. So the, that study that you're talking about came out a couple of years ago. These researchers prepared infant formula in a plastic bottle, obviously warm liquid. One of the things that very easily breaks down plastic is heat and cold and UV bombardment. So don't under any circumstances boil anything in plastic. It breaks off, and they found in the study, it, it broke off something like a million particles per day for an infant to be drinking. That is uh, important to mention that that was particles down to a certain size. And this is a, a kind of a problem so far in microplastic sciences. It's very difficult to test for the smallest little plastics. These nanoplastics were they're about a millionth of a meter in size. Uh, you need special equipment for that. Uh, so this study found that a baby might drink a couple million uh, microplastics a day, but probably trillions of nanoplastics that are breaking off in that formula and the baby is then ingesting. Don't, under any circumstances, ever heat food in plastic. Like, do not microwave plastic. My colleague at Wired had a story out last week that was kind of a follow-up study that found that when you microwave plastic, it breaks off astonishing amounts of microplastic into the food, um, which is to say nothing, and this, there's just not as much research on this, say nothing of the chemicals that leach out. So when that plastic breaks down, those plasticizers and things that we talked about break loose from the bonds and leach into food. Um, another huge problem. So at the end of the day, we just need to have less plastic. Um, it, uh, yet another injustice is that it's it's expensive for mothers to have to switch away from plastic. It's a very cheap material. But for the love of God, do not prepare food or drink in plastic when you can avoid it, especially when it comes to infants whose bodies are still developing. It's a very delicate time for them. Um, we do not want to expose them to these chemicals we know to be toxic to human health. What other tips can you give us for listeners like me who are just feeling equal parts angry and frustrated and also a little bit hopeless as they're listening to our conversation? What can we do? So on two levels, I think. So in the home, um, it's great to religiously vacuum. A number of studies have found that on a typical living room floor, because there's so much of this microplastic in the air, you might get hundreds of thousands of these particles settling on the floor each day. Toddlers, of course, are rummaging around on the floor and probably inhaling a good amount of those particles. So religiously vacuum, but also be careful how you dispose of that that dust so you're not just kicking those particles back up into the air. In general, thinking like this is 
another thing that I get angry about is the way that plastics have infiltrated so many aspects of our lives without us knowing. Again, two thirds of clothing is, is now made out of plastic. Switching to cotton is going to help. Again, that's more expensive. So there's some equity issues around that. You can get a, a filter for your washing machine. This is an aftermarket filter. Millions of particles come off of our clothes and flush out to see um, in a single load of laundry. You can get a special aftermarket filter for your washing machine that captures those before they go to a wastewater treatment facility. But I do not want to put the onus on us as consumers. Like, Why should we have to buy a $40 little piece of kit that attaches to our washing machine. Uh, France has actually mandated that by 2025, all washing machines have to have these pre-installed. Uh, we need the same exact thing in the United States and in, in every country in the world. And in the meantime, uh, governments need to send these these filters free of charge to their people. Um, we had a COVID pandemic and the government was very easily sending out lots of home tests for people. They can do the exact same for filters for washing machines. So that's all like the stuff that we can do on an individual level, but I'm a huge proponent of scaling that up. So taking that anger that you might feel as a consumer uh, and donating your time to the, the anti-pollution groups that are working on this. So these are the companies and groups that are in the room with the UN negotiations uh, that are that are ongoing. These are the people that have the power that they can wield, that you can contribute to. So yeah, you as an individual might seem insignificant and kind of broken down by this crisis, but that is exactly what these plastics companies want you to feel because then you don't take action. It was the same thing with recycling. They, they shunted the responsibility onto us as consumers. Um, it's our fault that so much of this plastic is escaping. Um, they're going to do the same with, with microplastics. It's, oh, you're just not using plastics responsibly enough. We can't let that happen. We cannot keep getting bamboozled by these giant corporations. Well, you mentioned the UN there again for the second time. And so can you talk to us about what's happening? Is the UN potential regulations our only hope? Yeah. So the UN treaty is super hopeful, actually. So the idea here is that we want some sort of cap on production and we want that globally. So what you can do, one country can say, okay, we're not allowing anybody to produce any more plastic whatsoever. Those companies will pick up and go to a neighboring country um, just fine. So uh, in the end, at the end of the day, we need not just a cap on plastic production, but a massive one. Like we are increasing exponentially from one trillion pounds of this stuff a year. And in the coming decades, that's going to triple. Uh, we need a huge curtailment of, of the production. And that can only happen with an international agreement. Because again, if one country bans it, it's going to go somewhere else. The issue here is that if you can believe it, the United States delegation is not super keen on holding petrochemical companies to account. Who would have thought? They're going to do everything in their power to to keep that sort of cap on production from happening. But coming back to, to my hopefulness here is that we have a public that is increasingly aware of plastics as a poison and is increasingly angry at the wool that has been pulled over our eyes. Maybe plastic, nylon, nylon wool that's been pulled over our eyes. Uh, we can't let this keep happening. We're at a, like a fundamentally important time in human history right now is that we can let these petrochemical companies keep killing the planet with climate change and then seamlessly shift in, into producing more and more plastics, or we can hold them to account for what they've done to this planet. So 
I want to wrap up, but I have a lot of questions I still want to ask. I, I think if I have to choose just one, I will ask you. I mean, you are a wealth of knowledge and insight. How do you how do you sleep at night? Do you feel optimistic about <laughs> the state of things um, or not so much? Uh, I'm a therapy. That's that's helping. What what actually kept me going again not the brightest idea to write this during the pandemic but what kept me going was i think the ability to shed light on this for the public this i mean the, this scientific research has been growing um but it's sometimes hard to parse and, and put into context and I, and I hope the book has done that for readers what keeps me going is that i don't know i'll be a, a finger in the plastic industry's eye if i have to be that's fine by me there is a better world here where we need to think back to like i'm 39 and i remember it and when i wasn't fully surrounded by single-use plastics it wasn't that long ago. like there was an existence that was actually better for planetary and human health just decades ago when when single-use plastic in particular wasn't so out of control so that's what keeps me going is that there is a there is a way to learn from what went wrong with tackling climate change, which is letting these fossil fuel companies steamroll us, and then actually turn that into to actual action on, on plastics. And I feel like that is turning now in a good way. Hmm. Well, I have a lot to think about, Matt. Tell us about your new book, A Poison Like No Other, where we can find it, what's in it that we didn't cover. Tell us all the things. Yeah, you can find it at bookstores. You can go to Island Press's website and buy it there. Uh, but you can also look up my articles for Wired. I'm covering more climate change and, and extreme heat this summer, but we'll hopefully be back to microplastics. And at the end of the day, I want people to feel hopeful and not broken. Because again, that's 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 what these companies want for us is to, to not take action. Um, so hopefully it's a hopeful book um but largely disturbing is is the um is the notes that i get <laughs> so if anybody wants to read a hopefully hopeful but largely disturbing book <laughs> check out a toxin like no other matt i learned a lot thank you so much thanks Listeners, that's a wrap. Show notes are at mamaminimalist.com forward slash 392. And before we go today, I do have an eco tip. It comes from listener Kim. Kim listened to our episode on pets. I'll link to it in the show notes if you missed it. But she wrote to me and she said that she has been using recycled toilet paper to pick up her small dog's poo as they do their business outside, and then she has been flushing it down the toilet. She reached out to me to ask if this was an eco-friendly action. Should she stop? Should she continue? I'll be honest, I had no idea, so I had to do some research. The answer is Kim is doing a great job. If you are so inclined to pick up your dog's feces and bring them inside and flush them. The EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, says that is a-okay. Now, I did mention in the show notes, do not ever flush your cat's feces, and that remains. So cats, no for flushing. Dogs, yes, if you want to put in that extra effort. So thank you so much, Kim. Very interesting. I had no idea. Listeners, we'll be back on Thursday. I'll see you then. Reach out if you need me. Leave the show a review. And thank you, and take care.